if you're sitting next to someone that you don't know um, and you feel a little bit awkward, just give them the nod. If you feel a bit confident, you can say hi. <laughs> don't have to uh, feel like a stranger here. This is great, it's a whole heap of nodding going, people chatting and talking. Or he's broken the church. <laughs> we good? That's good. Alright. Alright, that's that's enough. You become two close friends in the last few moments. Calm down, stop talking. <laughs> you can keep talking if you want. Your conversation might be a bit more important than um than mine. All right, I want to tell you a story as we kick off today about a warrior. And the warrior was a, a fierce, uh, strategic, wise warrior. He'd gone against all sorts of adversaries, all sorts of challenges and enemies, and he'd conquered, he'd, he'd come out on top. He was friends with the king. He was a confidant to the king. He was actually a protector to the king, and he and the king got on really well until one day the king started to... Um, feel insecure. He had a lot of power, this king. He felt insecure. And as a result of his insecurity, he felt that the warrior was going to take his throne, was going to want his throne. And so as a result, the king tried to have the warrior killed. The, uh, the king failed in his attempts and the warrior fled. As he fled, he took 10 of his closest men, men that were, were uh, like, uh, like warriors like he was, people that he trusted, that were loyal to him, and they fled. They came out of the city. Um, and they realised they had to flee, flee with such haste that they're not taking with themselves any, um, any sort of supplies, any food, anything. And so um, as a, in response to this, uh, the warrior realised that there was only one place he could go to get some supplies that he would need to tie them over for the next few days for his men. And that looked like Jesus of Hezekiah. That was cool. Um, they, uh, so without, without this food that they would really be in trouble. It was the priest in the temple. So they rushed to the temple. It was in the middle of the night. The priest came to the door and the warrior and the priest have a conversation. The priest was aware of what was happening. He realised that there was a tension here, that the, the warrior's life was at risk, that no that, um, uh, confidence needed to be kept. And as this conversation went on, the warrior asked for some food and the priest regrettably said, there is no food. We have no food. The only food we have is the bread that's on the altar. But that altar is to be sacrificed to God. The warrior was a man who loved God, who was loyal to God. And he looked at the altar and he said, well, can we have it? And the priest said, well, no, you can't. You need to be consecrated. Consecrated means to be set apart from God. He said, well, I am consecrated. He said, but your men, your men aren't consecrated. He said, my men are consecrated. Before every mission, we consecrate them. We go through the rituals we, we meet. Um, and these men are right before God in order to go on this mission. And so reluctantly, the priest was convinced of this, took the bread from the altar, gave it to the warrior and the warrior and his men disappeared into the night. Thanks for coming, guys. <laughs> if we're watching a movie, that would be the first scene that would leave us all going, oh, like what's coming? And then those really annoying introductory credits would roll, you know, like in James Bond where you're like psyched to get into the movie and then for like 15 minutes they just ramble through this thing. You're like, just get it over when I watch the movie. So, so we would have this and as we're watching the introductory credits, the name of the movie would come up and the name of the movie 
is how to keep the Sabbath. And we go, huh? Well, what, what does that story have to do with keeping the Sabbath? There's, there's nothing Sabbath-like in that story that we can immediately draw from. Oh no, we've paid money for a dud movie, right? That was what your response would be. This story that I've just told, according to Jesus, has a lot to do with the Sabbath. In fact, it's either that or the Sabbath has a lot to do with this story. So we move to the second scene of the movie. We've got through those terrible introductory credits. We've made it through and we hit scene two. And scene two, in this particular instance, I'm going to read from Luke 6. Now, for those of you that may have been sharing our journey at the moment, we um, have committed at the start of this year to read a chapter of the New Testament every day. Um, and it's been cool. The number of people participating in this has been growing. And I know if you're not part of this, your initial reaction is to go, oh, no, I cannot read three books of the Bible tonight to get up to speed for tomorrow morning because it's a public holiday, right? I know any other circumstance, you're like, yeah, it's the, the public holiday. I can't do that. Um, we, don't, don't look at it like that. That's the look at it through the wrong, wrong, wrong lens. Just like if you were like, I signed up and I haven't read any. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm terrible. You're not. What I want to encourage everyone to do is, is if you're not part of it, join us. Um, there's a thing on the table, just, yeah, already stick up that thing. Um, so this gives you the, the details. If you want to be on it electronically, if you just want to be old school paper, Pete's got a thing. You can just grab the, um, the, the um, list of verses and what, what days that we read through. The value of doing this, why? Why do we do this? We don't do this because we're like, oh, this should be fun. The more we can read God's story, the more we belong to God's story, and the more God's story belongs in our lives. So the rhythms that God goes through, the way God understands this world and loves this world and the heart he has starts to get cultivated in us if we start to read his scripture every day and just pause and dwell and think on that. The more we do that, it's like hanging around with someone. The more you hang around with someone with intentionality, the stronger that relationship grows and the more you actually um, become like them. So... Luke 6 is a chapter we covered on Monday or Tuesday of this week. And every Sunday we preach on one of the things that was in that previous uh, weeks. Um, and every small group we have, we with the content is provided by something that's happened in those last seven days of, um, of Scripture reading. So today's Luke 6, scene two of our movie, right? Here it goes. One Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, taking the consecrated bread he ate it, what was lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He dropped the microphone and walked out because they had no idea what to do with that, right? Well, what do you do with this story that, that we just read, like the first scene? The warrior is King David. He's not quite king yet, he's David, but the king is Saul, and Saul's losing his mind. And the priest was Ahimelech, and, and, and soon to be in trouble with Saul. Um, and that's all in Samuel 21. It's like in the first few, few verses of Samuel 21. Here's what's weird. That is the story that Jesus cites 
about the, when the Pharisees have a crack at him for eating grain on the Sabbath. That's the story he goes to. He's like, have you not heard? <laughs> Everyone's heard this, guys. Have you not heard? And he tells that story that they absolutely knew and would have heard of. And we go, why is that story something Jesus cites? And number two, it works. So what is it about that story that the Pharisees go, ah, oh, yeah, all right, good call. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to wrestle with what the Sabbath means and how this story comes to be in Jesus' story and what that tells us about God and the whole deal. So we need to work out what a Sabbath is. And the Sabbath is dead easy. We would call it, not the Sabbath, but we would call it a weekend, people. We weekend, right? Some of you have done it really well, but you've managed to like get double bang for your buck. You've gone back to back. You've got two Sabbaths a week. That's like double Bible, double biblical. That's extra amazing. You only need one Sabbath a week. I'm not telling you to work more, but, but you've gone like, I've got two days a week. This is amazing. In fact, sometimes we get so attached. We need that two days a week. God, God did one, but we'll get to that shortly. So the Sabbath is the day. So the, the Sabbath is, is, the, is the label given, part of our rhythm and our routine, where we are not defined by what we do. That's the value of a Sabbath. It's the space we go to where I'm not defined by what I do. But I'm defined by who I belong to. And I belong to God. And God loves me and He values me and He cherishes me and He cares for me. And we have been given that to celebrate at least once a week. Now, question. When was the Sabbath first mentioned in the Bible? Does anyone know? Genesis? Did I hear someone else say something? Day seven. You got a verse for that? Yeah, that was pretty good. So Genesis, right? So right in the very start when God is creating everything and establishing these routines, God has the first Sabbath. He's like claiming it, calling it, let's see how good this thing is. And for, as we're told in Genesis, a day he rests. Now why does God rest? Because he's finished. But he doesn't need to rest. He could just start again. Like he doesn't rest forever, does he? So why does he rest? Like, why does he kick back and go, oh, it's that, because God doesn't need to rest. There was no exhaustion in God that he's like, oh, that giraffe just did me in. But tomorrow, oh, I get to rest, just going to deal with this human problem, and then we're good to go. God is not exhausted. God is never tired or in need of rest. So why does God rest? Well, our immediate reaction then is to go to model it for us. Now, show of hands, who's great at following a role model? We are horrible. Human beings are horrible at following role models. We often follow the role model that we go, oh, that's, that's what I want to be like. When God says rest, we go, no, no, there's heaps of stuff to do, right? You don't get it, God, because like you're all powerful. It must have been a cinch for you, but there's heaps of stuff for me to do. And God says, no, no, I rested to give you permission to rest. Because I don't need to rest, but I chose to rest. So I'm God. I'm inexhaustibly powerful. I can do anything. And if I chose to rest, it means you need to rest. Because if you stop doing something for a day, the world's not going to fall apart. Because I made it. And I stopped doing something for a day, and it's still here. So the Sabbath originates in this idea of God wanting us to be restored to him and going, I'm not just going to model it. I'm going to do it in such a way that gives them permission that when they go, I can't rest, 
We get what God did. And if God can rest, then that gives me permission to let myself off the hook. I can rest. So God rests. The next major development surrounding the, the, um, the Sabbath was when God commanded it. So clearly people have been not doing what they were supposed to do. Moses is leading the people through the desert. He goes up to the mountain. He spends a bunch of days there. I think it's 40 days. He comes back with two stone tablets called the what? Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments. And, um, and one of them was um, uphold the Sabbath, honour the Sabbath, right? Now, just share with the person next to you. You may know, but... One to ten, where was it ranked? Where was the commandment to keep the Sabbath ranked out of one to ten? Just, just share with the person next to you. Just have a guess. It doesn't matter if you get it right or wrong. All right. Here's the answer. And the Sabbath comes in at number four. <laughs> you guessed, didn't you? With that sort of celebration. Oh, what a guess! So... So, <laughs> so it's number four it's not like number ten where God's like I think we've covered everything oh I should get him to rest it's number four it's super super important in this idea that God brings to this small group of people who he has placed the hope of the world in that he says I want you guys to bring the light and love and, and presence of who I am to this world by your example and by the things you do and so you need to be healthy one of the things you need to do to be healthy is, is uphold the Sabbath is honour the Sabbath is hold on to the Sabbath because in the Sabbath we realise whose we are and we're defined by that which is God not what we do, right? So it's built in to the rhythm of the Israelites. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. We get to the New Testament. If you search through the first five books of the Bible, you'll discover, and I'm, gosh, I'm making it easy for you guys today, you'll discover 613 laws that are not to be broken if you are a Jewish person, if you're an Israelite, right? So you don't even need to do that now. Like, you've got the answer. 613, right? Now, that's the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Law of Moses, or the Law. So when you hear Paul talk about the Law, you hear Jesus address the Law, that's what he's talking about. There's 613 um, uh, rules or laws that are comprised of the Torah that were to guide the nation. They were to answer every problem, every question they had. They were to protect them and look after them and keep them healthy. Now, what was added to this was what was called an oral tradition. That means it was never written down until much later on. It was developed as people talked about how these laws worked. And that oral tradition was called the Mishnah. Can we say that? It's such a cool word to say. Go, get ready with me. Mishnah. It's just feel cool saying that. We'll go one more time. Mishnah. There you go. Oh, it's good. The Mishnah introduced all the sub-laws, all the bylaws, all the supportive laws in order to fulfill the 613. So you can imagine some rabbis sitting down one day and going, that, that law of the 613 is difficult to fulfill. Let's work out a bunch of other things that people shouldn't do in order not to break that law. So the, the metaphor that you have is you have 10 commandments and then surrounding them you have these 613 laws and then surrounding that you have this Mishnah or, or part of the Mishnah which was all... Don't do these because if you do these, you'll break this and you'll break that. So to protect the law, you had all these other 
laws. You're starting to get the feel that it's legalistic, right? This idea of legalism, it's where it comes from. A law to um, promote a law that promotes a law that promotes something we've forgotten about because we're so caught up in this first law. Enter into that scenario the Pharisees. So we've heard of the Pharisees. You may be not. They're, they're Jesus' nemesis. They're, um, they're the Thanos to the Avengers, right? The, 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 the Pharisees, they were massively concerned with this law. And so the 613 laws had to be upheld at all costs. And then so they kept these additional commandments. And then they made sure everybody else kept these additional commandments. And then they made sure that they looked like they were keeping the um, additional commandments. They weren't always, which is what Jesus sort of strips back and why this sort of fireworks happen um, there. They, they became the moral policemen. We were calling the fun police. Like, oh my gosh, what am I doing wrong now that's going to get pinged because of Pharisees in town? Now, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, my head's spinning with stuff, you don't need to remember all this. It's a Sunday afternoon, right? We're all like lucky to be here because it's like, oh, it's nap time, so epic job for coming. Um, you don't need to remember all this. It sets the scene for understanding what Jesus was doing. So now the Mishnah. This oral tradition that the Pharisees used as their rule book identifies 39 categories which um, uh, identify what work is. So you've got keep the Sabbath, then you've got, oh, how do we keep the Sabbath? And they worked out 39 categories, not 39 laws, 39 categories, which is a whole bunch of sub-laws fit into. So when it comes to a Sabbath, the weekend or a Saturday, as was their Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night, they would come into this and they were like, how, they would never ask, how do we keep the Sabbath? They would go, we just don't break any of the laws that are in the 39 categories that are part of fulfilling this, this law, right? So it became very legalistic. And I've got all 39 categories, which I'm not going to read to you because they're kind of boring, except for a couple of examples, which I thought was quite interesting. Four of the categories, this is four different categories that they have a whole bunch of sub-laws. You weren't allowed to shear wool, wash wool, beat wool or dye wool. It's like all the sheep went, woohoo, <laughs> Sabbath again. There were five more categories that were, listen to this, these are the sub-categories, right? Making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying or untying. So they were clearly wanted to completely outlaw the wearing of shoelaces on that particular day and use five categories to do it. Like you go, this is, this is ridiculous. It goes on. There's one I really liked, tanning. Tanning. Like sunbathing, right? Not allowed to. Oh, it could mean what you do with leather, but it's not specific about that, right? So it's just says tanning. So it's like harsh when it comes to sunbathing. Um, but the, the, this is another two: writing two or more letters, and another category: erasing two or more letters. Now I'm like letters. No, 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 letters like a. B, except it would be in Hebrew. But anyway, um, see, you weren't allowed to do that. And it was like they went, they're not allowed to write. Let's tie this right up. They're not allowed to erase two either. That, that'll shut this whole thing down. They had, this is my personal favourite. You weren't allowed to kindle a fire and all the things that come under that category, like fire. And at the same moment, you weren't allowed to extinguish a fire. It kind of feels like if you're going to break first rule, there's a second rule to say you're going to pay for that. Uh, this one, 
the second last one. Putting the finishing touch to an object. That's weird, right? That's, yeah, right? Yep, enough said. The last one, this is fascinating. Transporting, and all the others get like one or two words. This one gets transporting an object between a private domain and the public domain or for a distance of four cubits within the public domain. Now, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus upsets the Pharisees so much that they take him out to stone him and he walks through the crowd. Remember that story? It was, it was weird. He walks through the crowd and we go, wow, he's done some Jedi mind trick. This is incredible. They ran out of their four cubits. They took this possession that they were going to deal with in the public domain. They were going to stone Jesus and they went, oh, it's just there, but we've run out of our steps. And so Jesus went, I'm not held by the Sabbath. See ya. And he walks away. It's fascinating, right? So these, we could go, we could spend, as you imagine, a lot of time treating the, the categories of work a little bit more seriously than we've just done. But you get the picture, right? It's legalism upon legalism. It, it, it would squash, it would suffocate the breath out of you. It wouldn't be like, yes, the weekend's here, Sabbath's here. It'd be like, all right, how do we honour God? What do we need to make sure we've prepared beforehand? We've got right, we're ready to go so we can have a day where we don't do anything. Now, remember our passions where we started? Luke chapter 6, verse 1, one Sabbath. So one Sabbath, when all this stuff was happening for the whole culture, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat kernels. And if we were text messaging that, you'd, you'd send back the emoji face of the... Because he broke four of the 39 categories in like five words. He's broken it. Reaping, winnowing, threshing, preparing a meal. Jesus, what were you doing? The Pharisees go crazy at this. They're like, we've got him. We've got him. And in response, he drops this story about David the warrior on him. Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. He took the consecrated bread. He ate what was lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. This story of, of David, who is that, that warrior, is a picture of a man who lives in such holiness that he was accepted and he was good with God before he ever got to the temple. He didn't need the sacrifice that was on the temple to make him good. He had already consecrated himself. He'd lived in the presence of God. He approached the priest and the priest went, that is a man that walks in the presence of God. He is good with God. No sacrifices needed to take away his sin. That's been taken care of. And so the bread that was used was used to atone for people's sin. That's why Himelik grills David. Are you sure you're good? Because this we can't muck about with this. Are you sure you're good? Are you sure your men are good? Because that's on you. David, and then he gives them the bread, the holy bread on the side. He says, well, this sacrifice isn't needed. I can give it, to this, give it this way. They prepared themselves. They were consecrated. They were set apart. They were, they were holy before God. And here it is. So at David's say-so, the men were understood to be clean. Jesus is retelling the story here. At Jesus' say-so, the crew, the disciples who were with him, they were clean. They can eat of the grain like David's men ate of the bread because they're with me and I'm good with God. You see, in both situations, the law 
has already been satisfied and no sacrifice is needed. At David's word, his men were free from the law because they were deemed holy due to the relationship they had with David. At Jesus' word, his men were free from the law because they were deemed holy due to their relationship with Jesus. So Jesus was already starting to bring to bear his kingdom, already going, things work differently. So he's saying to the Pharisees, they're with me, and I'm good with God, so they're good with God. And it's the same for us today. At Jesus' word, we are free from the law because we have been deemed holy due to our relationship with Jesus. You see, we so easily fall into a place of thinking, but it is important to God how I behave. We put that but in there. I know I'm saved. I know God is good. I know God doesn't. But it is important that I am a good person, that I do the right thing, that I try and live an upstanding or worthy life. This is really, really important. And we have in the back of our minds this weird thing that, that if we don't, it puts us in a bad place with God. And that, the Bible calls, is living under law. Just like the Pharisees were convinced, if we, if we impress God, we'll be right. It'll, it'll turn out good. And the Sabbath is one of the arenas where all of this plays out. So Jesus says to them after this, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now the temptation for Jesus to say, I made the Sabbath up, was my idea. Must have been huge, but he's humble, right? So he's like, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark, when Mark tells the story, it says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This law thing is back to front because we've ended up worshipping the law, trying to honour God instead of worshipping God and in the process, honouring the law. So previously, the law makes people holy. But when God makes people holy, the law is not needed, right? So we don't need the law because Jesus makes us holy. So, so the law is not needed. When the law is not needed, the sub-laws and the categories and all of that, they're not needed. Because Jesus isn't breaking the Sabbath according to what it meant to be right at the start in Genesis. Jesus isn't violating that. He's embracing that. He's enjoying that. He's being in the midst of that. What he is challenging is their understanding of all the laws that they've built up. Jesus is saying the Sabbath is what helps us experience and be renewed in God as Lord of our lives. Just like it was in Eden. He said, I'm bringing this back. Jesus is saying, in my world, we don't worship the Sabbath. We use the Sabbath to worship God. Now, a few years ago, I decided to do something incredibly stupid and I trained for and ran a marathon, like the full 42K. Don't do it. It was, it, I remember finishing, I was destroyed. It was so brutal. And I sat down for ages. And by this time, it had been a long time because I'm not a fast runner. So Linda's like, I'm giving up. And she got home. So I had my car to, to drive home. And driving home and lifting my leg to put it on the brake pedal was really tough, right, the whole way. And, and so I get home. I practically crawl into the house thinking, well, this is my final day on earth. It's been good. And it was, oh, man. And because and so, I'm so athletic. And I'm, 
but I can. I can, Jesus says. So let me take that burden from you. I've got this. This is why I died to free you from it. You can't do it. I can do it. And so he releases us from having to fulfill the law, his law. He says, I, I release you from that. And he invites us to step into his life that has already fulfilled the law in a way that we never can. See, the sacrifice the law requires to deem something holy was in fact Jesus. The law for it to be fulfilled required Jesus. And he embraced it on the cross and he established our status as a result of that. He said, you're excluded from the law and you're saved by grace. I did it for you. This afternoon, that could be you. You're excused from living a good life. You're saved by grace. You don't need to live a good life. For some of you, you're like, yeah, yeah, I agree, but I, I do. You don't need to live a good life. You're excused, you're saved by grace. You don't need to do anything good for the rest of your days. You're saved by grace. See, it's through Jesus we satisfy the requirements of the law. It's sort of like Jesus is coming to my life and then he walks to the law and the law looks and goes, check, you're good. And we go, I'm just along for the ride, but I, I'm being okayed by the law. I satisfy the law because I'm with Jesus. And so in Christ, we are saved. We are free from the law. Now, when the reality of this sinks in, and it might, for some of you, you might be living in that space. For others of you, like, oh, it's going to take a bit of sinking in to do. When you accept what Jesus really has done for you, what he has really freed you from, when you give up trying to be good and you, you, you rest in what Jesus has done for you, it feels like it, this massive sigh. Ah, oh, if that's true, then oh, I feel like kicking back and putting on the candle or grabbing a drink and putting my feet up and maybe catching some Z's that I've missed out on for so long. And if only we had a word to capture that feeling of Jesus has done it all for me now. I mean, what would you call that? Sabbath. Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath is. It's going, Jesus, you did this for me. I don't need to earn it. Work, loving people, it's not to look better for you. It's not to try and achieve anything. It's to give what you've done for me every Sabbath, what you fill me up with, that I love someone, not because I have to, but because there's something in me that needs expression. And that expression is the love. To serve someone that you normally would go, oh, I'd stay away from them. But you go, I'm just drawn to that situation. I don't understand why. It's because you've Sabbathed well. You want to be, you want to pick up your Bible and just and read into that because something has happened to you during the Sabbath where you've gone, oh, this is what Jesus has done. And I want so much more of it. I want to live in that freedom. And it can be so fleeting, but it doesn't have to be. So how do you Sabbath? It's what we started. That's the name of the movie, right? How do you Sabbath? Well, that's up to you. You don't. It's not prescriptive. You don't need to do anything. Jesus said, no, you're free from that. <laughs> free. Think on what I've done for you. Relish that. Love that. Let that put you back together for another week because I will restore you. I do love you and I am there. So let's pray. Jesus, this, this is a message that can be so familiar for us and yet so oddly foreign. Can it be that good and can it be that easy? 
Could you possibly love us that much? Is your grace really that good? And you consistently show us that it is. You just lead it to a deeper depth of security in you. Of comfort in you. Of peace in you. And so Lord, it feels like there are some of us here that need your spirit to convince us. I pray you would lift the guilt that we might feel. You would set us free. You would put us back together the way you want us to be back together. And so Lord, as we as we eat bread, just like you did, just like David's men, David did, as we eat this bread that is that is far more than just bread, it is a sacrifice on the altar, it is your body, it is who you are. Meet us again and feed us and refresh us. And recreate us again in your image, we pray. And we just ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. So David sought bread from the altar. And Jesus picks these grains that are going to be made and turned into bread. And then later on, he calls himself the bread of life. He was, he was driving out that he is the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. Represented and this bread and this cup. And that we can accept the freedom that we've dwelt in and talked about and thought on the last of the while. That Jesus makes sure it's always within our grasp if we would choose to accept it. This, the freedom of God, is yours if you want it. And it may be the very first time, it may be the hundredth time. You may be sitting there going, I need it. You may be sitting there going, I, I live it. But we're invited to partake in it again, to be reminded of it, to be refreshed and strengthened in it, to be identified by it. Because as we are identified by these things, we are identified by Christ. Because Christ is the bread of life. And these things, this bread, this cup, they are His body and His blood. And so we are actually accepting the sacrifice that He made for us. It's becoming ours. And so in a moment, you're just going to be invited, we're going to play some music, you'll be invited to come up and take a cup and take a piece of bread there's a gluten-free option or, or, or just tear off some of the bread and to return to your seat and then we'll, we'll partake in it together in just a moment. But the coming up, the coming forward to say, okay, Jesus, this is something I want from you, Jesus. That's, that's what Jesus wants from us today. And so, so you may be sitting there going, yeah, I, I'm, I don't want to, I'm not worthy, it's not for me. And Jesus says, no, 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 come, come, come. Because I am. I am for you. And so we're going to pray. And then I'm going to invite you to come forward that God might do in you the work that he wants to do as he fills you. Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you for such an inadequate word to grasp what you have done for us. But your body was broken, your, your blood poured out in ways that establish the new status for us, that we are saved by your grace. We are free from this law. 
We are free from trying to be good and to be perfect and all of that. We are free from all the guilt that we have and the shame that's amassed in our lives. We are free from that as we partake in your life, as we become part of your life. So Lord, call us to the table to be fed by you, to have our thirst quenched by you, to hear the encouragement and gentleness of your spirit speak to us. So this bread we break. We remember your sacrifice, Christ. We remember what it cost you in every way and that you would repay that time and time again to see us brought into your kingdom. And we thank you for your cup. We pray you bless this cup that it would be to us a sign of a new covenant, a new relationship, a new agreement with you that we would live accepting of the things you've done and not running away from these things Lord bless this cup bless this bread bless us as we come to partake in these things we pray this in your powerful name Amen so if you'd like to come forward and take a cup and tear off some bread or, or take a wafer Return to your seat, and then we'll, um, when when those who wish to receive uh, have, we'll, we'll eat of it together, and um, we'll close with some worship.
share in the body of Christ together. Thank you.